Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is going to be the first episode coming out of our big Hunt Fish Podcast Summit that we did over at the Double Draw Ranch, located over in Junction, Texas, here a few weeks ago. And uh, what an experience these four days were um, bringing all these people in from all across the United States and uh, had Paul Fazinski from the Aptitude Outdoors podcast came all the way down from Ohio, had Turner and Hayden Rowan with the Turner Rowan podcast came down from Montana, had my good friend Chester Moore came over from East Texas and had several awesome guests including Lou Marullo from up in New York, Todd Craighead from Oklahoma, um, our good friends Jonathan Addison from the Captain Experiences and uh of course gene hennigan with the ranch so um we had a great time got a lot of stories no birds were harmed during the four days we were hunting which which uh was kind of uh, uh the, the hunt was was tough we seen a lot of birds but just couldn't kind of close the deal so but it is what it is and we had a great time regardless of killing a bird or not but but um this was just a great experience it was a great networking event to get us all together and, and kind of brainstorm of of what we think is going on in the outdoors industry and how we can um, you know do some networking and come together with some great ideas and see what we can come up with and uh, move forward with this going into next year and make it bigger and better so um, hope you really enjoy this episode this is a special one because this is uh, you know the second or third day we were there we decided to sit down and do a round table me and Paul had talked about it and uh, weren't really sure how it was going to go, but it turned out awesome. Um, besides, my allergies kicking my butt the whole time we were there. So, um, but a lot of good uh, viewpoints come out of this. Everybody had a good, uh, you know, good amount of time to talk, and, and it was kind of really uh, nice and awakening to hear uh, some new ideas and perspectives on hunting and uh, where it's at today in our society. So, hope you enjoy this episode. Want to thank our sponsors for sure for this whole summit that we did. My good friend Chicken Boy, uh, thanks for all you do for us. Had Saltwater Recon and Captain Experiences along with 
our good friends up in Oklahoma City from Vanessa House Beer Company donated a lot of good beers for everybody for the for the weekend and Metro Emergency Upfitters up there in Oklahoma City as well and uh, just a just a great time thanks to everybody that that pitched in and helped out this year um, couldn't have done it without you and uh, and with that let's jump right into this roundtable because I think you're gonna really enjoy this talk over the next hour so and uh, we'll be releasing our next episode um, right after this one so hope you enjoy it. And stay tuned. We'll see you. Webcams on the water that you can control. Become a member today and you too can become King of the Ocean. Know before you go with saltwaterrecon.com. Saltwaterrecon.com is not responsible for things you don't know. Hey everyone, I'm Joe Mohan. I'm the CCO Chief Chicken Officer of Chicken Boy Lures. And I want to invite you to experience my lures. And you can get them on chickenboylures.com. Some of my primary models are the Whipping Chickens, the 4-inch lure. I just came out with a really good one called the Midnight Rider. Also got the Bubba Clucker. My favorites are the Lemon Pepper Chicken, Bubba Clucker, my favorite pink pollo. And now we have the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, chickenboylures.com. Red, trout, flounder, snook, and bass. Captain Experiences makes booking a fishing trip easy and seamless. Discover unique fishing experiences on the lakes, rivers, flats, and seas across Texas and beyond. Book a damn good trip every time with Captain Experiences. Search it, book it, live it. CaptainExperiences.com country of West Texas, there's a gathering of the most profound and rising voices in the outdoors industry with the likes of the Impact Outdoors podcast, the Turner Rolling podcast, the Higher Calling Wildlife podcast, and the Aptitude Outdoors podcast. This convocation is known as the Hunt Fish Podcast Summit, where we come together and get after some wild turkey, discuss burgeoning issues in the outdoors world, and most importantly, have a hell of a good time. So pull up your boots, grab your guns, and let's get after it. We honestly don't know what we're doing right now, but uh, uh, man, uh, first off, I just want to thank everybody for being here this weekend. Um, this has been an awesome experience um, having this uh, Hunt Fish podcast event come to come to life here. Thanks to Gene Hennigan here at the Double Draw Ranch. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, um, turkeys have been elusive. It's not been. It's it's not been for lack of trying. We've seen some, but uh, but yeah, we just wanted to kind of do a roundtable with everybody and you know just let, let everybody share their experience with this, and hopefully this will grow bigger, ne- even next year, and uh, we can get more people involved. And when I first started thinking about this, probably a year ago, I was just trying to think, you know, with the pandemic going on, and everything is like, what can we do? You know, um, I had met Paul um, about that time, and. Uh, um, you know, just wanting to grow our shows and 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 do some networking with other people in the outdoor podcast world because um, I'm super new to this, um, you know. And uh, but we've got a lot of good connections and stuff we've made over the years, and you know, networking is key to be successful. And this is a great opportunity for us to do that. So thank y'all again for coming. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're just gonna kind of, I guess, go around and just let everybody kind of say a few things and. I'm sure there's going to be, I mean, Lou's sitting over here. I know he's got a story already ready in his mind. But, uh, 
Yeah, it's been good. So, who wants to go? Let's just go around the table. Yeah, so uh, first off, I want to say thank you, Derek, for putting this thing together. It's, I don't know how the hell you pulled this off, but this is badass, man. I've, I've not... I told Derek when I got here, I've not had this much fun in, in probably five years. Like, no joke. Like, I've done a lot of fun shit, but this is, like, the coolest thing. Uh, my first time turkey hunting, and, yeah, I'm super stoked to meet all you guys. I know we've all chatted online in the past, but it's cool to be down here, especially coming from Ohio, man. This is it's like being on the moon. I'm absolutely <laughs> stoked to be here and got some good stories. Like you said, we've seen turkeys, but they're being little shits. They you, ate, you ate your first crawfish last night? Yeah. Derek made the crawfish so damn hot. I'm still bleeding that out. <laughs> it's good, though. He's a chef, cook. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, man, anybody else? Keep going. Let's let's go around. Um, yeah, well, my name is uh, Addison Barnes. I work on uh, Captain Experiences. This is my first time on a, on a roundtable, I guess. Really, one of my first times on a podcast, which is great. Um, also, my first time turkey hunting. It's a world of firsts for me. Um, but, yeah, I'll pass it over to Turner to introduce himself. Yeah, I'm Turner from the Turner Rolling Podcast. Uh, came down here with really no expectations and have been blown out of the water. Uh, the turkey hunting is excellent. There are a lot of birds. Uh, good hunting and better company. Um, and I look forward to the direction that this roundtable goes. Hey, I'm Lou Murillo. I'm from New York. And uh, Derek, thanks so much for putting this thing together. It's been a lot of fun. It really has. I have one question, though. I, I'd like to ask Gene here, the, our host here, that how, how much did you pay those guys to make those turkey sounds all morning? Because I never saw a turkey, but I heard a lot of them now. It's about $100 a speaker. I have them attached to trees throughout the ranch down in the draws to really make the appearance that there's a lot of birds. Well, I'm going to tell you what, it worked because I was on my alert all the time. <laughs> and Chester, the guy, Chester works with Texas Fishing Game, and uh, he was telling me that, oh, I got birds. I see birds down here. I see them. I said, Where are they? I don't see them. <laughs> I can hear them, but I don't see them. But anyway, here you go, Gene. All right, I'm Gene Hennigan, uh, the owner of the Double Draw Ranch, and it's really a pleasure to be hosting these guys. Uh, I think I've made nine new friends. There's ten at the table. Derek's already a friend. We've uh, fished together a lot and had a lot of good times over the years and sporting a lot of good groups and youth hunts and things like that. But uh, like I said, this has really been neat to watch all these podcasts come together, and I've kind of sat in the background and just been a spectator, and I've learned a lot. Uh, and here's Mr. Chester. The rumor is I'm Chester Moore with Higher Calling Wildlife, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. My uh, love of turkey hunting was reawakened a few years ago, and um, really enjoyed being out here with everyone, and I really appreciate Derek putting this together, Gene hosting it, but everyone for being part of this, because I think what's starting here is a voice for outdoor podcasting is going to keep resonating out there, and of real outdoor lifestyle Real hunting, real fishing, blood, sweat, and tears, good, bad, and ugly. And that's what I like about this in the podcasting format. You can really share and put it all out there, you know. And uh, I'm seeing that we haven't killed a bird yet, but we've had a lot of laughs, had a lot of fun. And if you can be out there on that ranch and hear those gobbles and not have adrenaline going up and down your, your spine, quit. You, got pro- you may be dead already. I don't know. <laughs> I'm um, Hayden Roland with the Turner Roland Podcast. Uh, Turner and I came down here, like you said, with no expectations, and uh, it's been a phenomenal trip. The The terrain is probably the coolest part for me. I've, I've never really been in like a desert dry environment like this. Uh, turkeys are cool. Never really seen the Rios, so 
Hopefully we can put one on the ground this afternoon. I'm a Todd Craig head, and uh, I really don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I don't have a podcast. I'm an old guy. I just, uh, but anyway, I'm. It's all about Scooter. That's right. You, it was really about bringing Scooter down here, and I was just his taxi. But uh, uh, no, I work in uh, Oklahoma with the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife, and I've been in the outdoor television industry and a host for a quarter of a century now. Uh, and um, uh, just keeping the outdoors relevant continually becomes a bigger challenge uh, for us. And promoting the outdoors through podcasting is, is really, I think, the new way to keep the outdoors relevant to uh, a myriad of different generations, from the youngest kids in high school to Lou and and me, and, yeah, yeah, Lou and Gene and me, the older kids here, are, uh, you know, it's it's a universal platform that has relevancy to so many different demographics, and uh, I'm really excited to um, to have my eyes open to it and to uh, play a small part in the weekend. Yeah, hey, um, my name's Jonathan Newar with Captain Experiences, and uh, yeah, Gene, thanks for having us. Derek, thanks for bringing us all together. Um, yeah, first turkey hunt, so, uh, you know, it's been a blast, and yeah, you know, love love what everybody's getting together here doing, you know, the podcast, uh, you know, environment is just great for the outdoors. It, it kind of, uh, you know, it's like our crawfish boil last night, everybody just getting around together around the table, kind of shooting the shit, so it's, it's fun to do, it's fun to be here. Uh, shared a lot of great stories last night and excited to uh, maybe put some of those on record here. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jonathan. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's been, I think, the cool. Me and Gene talked about, you know, he's brought the point up. He's like, how did you get so many people from all across the United States that just kind of gel together, you know, get along and and, and uh, really, you know, appreciate each other and stuff. And uh, it's like, I don't know. I just, you know, you know, me and talked about this with Chester for a while, and, you know, he – immediately thought of Lou and you know I thought of Todd and and, and with Turner and then uh, just brought in and, and thank Jonathan and, and Addison for helping sponsor the event you know we couldn't couldn't have done it without the sponsors with the Captain Experiences Saltwater Recon oh my good buddy Joe Mohan with Chicken Boy Lures and uh, and we had some great beers from uh, Vanessa House Beer Company up in Oklahoma City so shout out to them and then uh my brother's company up there, Metro Emergency Upfitters. So thanks to them too. So, but um, the food's been good. I think we're doing some uh, some big old burgers tonight on the grill. So, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm excited to see where this goes. I mean, this is a really unique opportunity. Um, and you know, who knows where it's gonna go? I mean, maybe one day this thing's traveling across the country every year, doing it at a different location with new people, new new sites and stuff. And uh, yeah. I'm excited because, like I say, you really never know what's going to happen in the future. So, um, but uh, thanks again for everybody coming out, you know. So, Turner. Well, I'm kind of hoping that we we stay in the direction of first because that's one of the really cool things about this event is hearing from people who are not normally exposed to what we're doing right now, turkey hunting. So I, I, I have a question for the first turkey hunters. What surprised you? with turkey hunting and what and what did you like or dislike i mean i can touch on that real quick 
they are so damn sneaky, man. They, <laughs> I mean, uh, my experience has been like deer and squirrel and just like, you know, all the stuff up there in the Midwest. And, and I mean, we have turkey too, but I just never had the opportunity to hunt them. And, you know, you come down here on my first night, you know, you're traveling, you get off a plane, you wake up early, get here, and then you literally hop in here, change clothes, and we're heading out in the, in the blind. And, uh, man, the, that first turkey caught gobble I heard, Derek was laughing at me. I thought I was going to die. I thought my heart was going to explode. It was so awesome. And uh, I just love it, man. It's just like so intense. We're, we're on day three hunting. Mm-hmm. Nobody, the, ever, the experience of hunters in this room is uh, just mind blowing. And then nobody's got a turkey. So I don't feel so damn bad, man. I feel good. Thank you for noting that. I, we appreciate you noting that. Yeah. Especially Chester. <laughs> Yeah. Paul, you're a you're a very bold first turkey hunter. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I I may have. It's rumored that I may have run into Turner and Hayden's camp this morning when they were hunting. So it was kind of funny, man. I, I called Gene and I was like, "Hey, Gene, I, I think somebody's trespassing on your property." Yeah, it's me. <laughs> I, I did when when Derek texted me. I felt like such an ass. I was like, "Oh, dude." Oh, I cried. I went back to the blind and cried a little bit. Oh no, it's no worries. We had, we had birds there that morning, but at that at that point they were long gone over the hill. Yeah, but uh, when he called me, I grabbed my judge and went down <laughs> to the area looking to shoot a poacher because yeah. he was sure there was a poacher on my property. And I was like, "Well, there's I never been one." I go, before, I go "There's but. no way Paul would come down to my blind and mess me up like this." <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> See, that's the good thing about being a first timer. You can blame it all on inexperience. Yep. <laughs> I heard the I heard the card. I was like, man, I made a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Yeah, I mean, in terms of you know first time turkey hunting, I would just say it's the anticipation of it all. You know, it's a whole new ball game, uh, and it's just you know it feels like it takes every single one of your senses to go out there and turkey hunt. So it's a blast. You know, you never know what direction you know a turkey might. You might hear it from, you might see it from uh, anything really. So it's 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 just kind of you're in it every single second. You know, you don't want to snap a twig, you know, cough anything. You know, you just want to stay silent, see that bird, and and make it happen. You know, so it's it's just the anticipation of it all. That's it's a blast. Yeah, I mean, I would say echoing what Chester said. I feel like my heart was pumping and my adrenaline was thumping, and I didn't even see a turkey. So I can only imagine exactly. what happens when you actually get one in front of you. It's got to be, it's got to be a whole other world, you know. Just piss yourself, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a similar question, guys, for those who you know, you, several have mentioned uh, the first time in this kind of terrain or habitat. Well, this ranch also has incredible management. And there's a lot of exotics here. So, what did you think about seeing? The exotics, I mean, access to your oh, dad, black buck. And what's that been like maybe from only seeing native wildlife, you know? Yeah, I mean, for Jonathan and I, so we were buddied up up in, up in the corner of the property. And uh, we might not have seen any turkeys, but after a while, we, we got a little fed up and decided to stalk some, some uh, axis deer. You know, we, we weren't going to shoot them or anything. We just were curious and thought it was great. And uh, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, you see these awesome creatures. And Gene's got, Gene's got some great, some great uh, you, know, you know, big ones up here. Um, so it was pretty cool. It was fun to yeah, see. It was fun to kind of stalk them. And, you know, we just kind of sat down on a log for about five minutes straight and just kind of watched them, you know. There's a big, big group of them up there, and so it was just really cool to see them just kind of doing their thing. And then they got a little privy of us and kind of moved on. But it was, uh, you know, it was great to just kind of be there and, and you know, their environment, and just kind of watch and, and listen and all that. It was really cool. And the axis deer, kind of interesting. I was talking with Gene about their 
breeding cycles and and their antlers cycles, I suppose. Uh, Hayden and I first sit saw a uh, really nice axis deer in velvet, and I was so surprised because you know normally like white-tailed deer and elk they don't have antlers right now, and um, apparently, Gene, you could touch on this, but apparently they they drop their antlers according to their birthday. Yeah, basically, you can have four four-year-old axes right now. One of them can have just dropped his horns. One can be just growing and starting to break out with his horns. One can be in full-blown velvet like y'all saw. And one can be in hard horn all at the same time. Their whole life cycle is based on when they're born. So they breed year-round, every eight months. Okay, so the native whitetail, you know, are once a year. So axis are kind of actually taking over in Texas because you're getting three babies on the ground every two years versus two whitetails on the ground every year. And uh, we also have black buck, and they also are from India, and they do the same thing. They breed every eight months. Uh, we've got other stuff like fallow. The fallow are pretty much right in sync with the whitetails. They'll drop their horns right around the end of March. They'll start growing in April. They'll be hard horn in the winter when we're hunting whitetails, and then they'll drop their horns in March again. So that's pretty interesting. And then, of course, I've got Audad and some other stuff, but, you know, those are hard-horned animals. And I think everybody's seen at least something about every species, including lots of whitetails. The whitetails were insane this morning. We had this front just get through blowing through. And so here on the back end, the weather's beautiful. And, I mean, we were seeing groups of 15 to 20 uh, whitetail running around together this morning. Now, those axis deer, is that cycle because they're – in Texas, away from their native habitat, or is that a natural thing that they that they do in India, where they're from? Yeah, that's it's a natural breeding cycle. Very interesting. Yeah, it didn't change. And you know, I'll say one thing about exotics because uh, we were talking the other day about uh, some people that had tried to ban certain exotics in the U.S., saying they were going extinct because of exotic ranchers like me. There are more exotics now than there ever was. Okay, a lot of them have gone extinct in their native lands are being restocked by Texas ranches. We're sending breeding pairs back to those places where they can re-inhabit those parts of the country. And, uh, you know, it's just a passion. You enjoy all these different kinds of animals and everything. We can hunt them year-round because they're not native. Uh, that makes it pretty unique and helps us be able to hunt year-round. Uh, you know, we've got whitetail seasons and we've got turkey seasons and stuff like that, but there's no season on any kind of exotics. So that allows hunters to be able to, you know, if they're in a bind in the wintertime and can't get away during whitetail season or they want to spend all their time on their deer leases, you know, then during the summertime, amazingly, when it's hotter than hell, is one of the best times to hunt axes. That's kind of their, they rut year round, but that's their peak is like May and June. I just want to ask how, how did they affect the turkey hunting? If, if at all, you know, do you, do you think the exotics have any sort of effects on, on turkey populations on the ranch? No, not, not at all. I mean, we've got a unbelievable turkey population. We've had kind of a perfect storm for turkeys in the last couple of years, two years ago, uh, the way the season started, the birds had almost got through strutting by the time the season started. So there wasn't very many birds killed at all that year. Well, last year with COVID going on, I canceled all the turkey hunts but one. 
because I had eight guys that had been coming for a long time, and the average age of the hunters was 76. So wow. they were pretty safe. <laughs> their, their wives had had them sequestered. <laughs> so, and they even had a hard time getting permission to even travel to get out here to the ranch. So there was only one bird kill last year. So we essentially have had a couple of years of uh, population growth without really taking any of the animals. And during the winter hunts, I've got videos of 50 to 75 birds coming through uh, flocks with nine or ten jakes running with three or four gobblers behind them. Uh, Norman Wade, a guy that's usually on NWTF 360, uh, came up and shot a bird. And he said, man, I was on the east fence line, and there were five jakes across the fence pounding the fence trying <laughs> to get at that gobbler. And he's just walking down the fence line saying, you stupid bird, you know you can fly. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, last night I was out there, and, you know, I, when I got here, uh, Derek, I had Derek and Todd with me out in the blind just kind of, like, coaching me. I have no idea what I'm doing. So yesterday I kind of spread my wings a little bit, headed out, and Todd took off. And uh, it was so awesome. I was, I was on the far corner of the property, and just, like, that was the first time I actually just saw the turkey just moving around. And uh, I he jumped over a fence, flew over a fence, which was pretty awesome. But there's, like... The, it's so thrilling because you hear them and you're like, yeah, yeah. shit's about to get real. Yeah. And then they just never come. They've ne they just don't show up. So it's like, a, it's such a cool experience because it's just not like anything I've ever done. I'm just having so much fun. So like for the more experienced hunters, I guess I have a question. Like, is it always like this or is it just like, is it just a, because it's the end of the season kind of, is it just always a, well, I'll, I'll tell you my experience. Okay. You haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> you haven't seen anything yet yeah. because when when you give the, you're you're not hunting the bird, mm -hmm. the bird is hunting you. Yeah, and that's what's so fun about this. I mean, you can't call you, you can't call too much because then you're going to screw it up for yourself. So you got to kind of know when to call and when to stop. So he's looking for you. If you call all the time, then he's gonna he knows right where you are and he's going to shut up. He's just going to walk in silent and he's going to surprise you. Mm -hmm. And then when he's right behind you, he's going to go right behind you. You're going to jump a mile, and he's going to run away. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's part of it all. That's part of the excitement. When you hear the gobble, and he's closer, and he gobbles, you know he's coming. Oh, man, that's when your heart really starts blowing out of your chest. That's when it's a lot of fun. It's a blast. And we did hear a lot of birds here. We heard tons of birds, yeah. you know. They just were too smart for all of us, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think the birds really just knew we were doing this roundtable, and they they didn't want to give us something to talk about. So they were like, well, we'll make them struggle for an hour, and then, and then we'll come this afternoon. You're right, Addison, because there's been about nine or ten gobblers killed in the last few weeks, including by a 15-year-old girl that had never shot one before. <laughs> Is that a burn, Gene? Is that a burn on us? I, I think Gene's I think saying that I'm not as good as a 15-year-old girl because I also haven't killed a gobbler. So uh, Here. <laughs> And for me, uh, to answer your question, Paul, it, for, the most exciting part for me is the communication with the animal. Like my, my, my two favorite things are elk hunting and turkey hunting, both because you establish this connection with the animal and it's, it's more of a connection than just spot and stalk, like with mule deer. It, it almost makes you feel 
a part of the environment, like you're giving something. Mm-hmm. And you have this communication with the animal, and it's it, it, it's what makes turkeys a magical bird mm-hmm. is the communication that you have with it. Yeah. It's, it's thrilling, man. It's I've never mm-hmm. experienced anything like that. I was telling, like, in Ohio, we have, like, the, the number one roller coaster park in the world. I'm like, that shit's for the birds, man. This is, like, ten <laughs> times more thrilling than that ever. Yeah, you know, it's just, there's a little bit of that in waterfowl hunting, of course. I do a lot of waterfowl hunting, but a different level with turkey. I mean, you see some mallards or hear them, you try to call them in, you know, they come in or whether they don't. Turkeys will play games for hours or days with you, it seems like. But in a bigger picture of turkeys is the fact that as a you know, wildlife journalist, they're to me like the ultimate American bird. Right. I mean, we have the story of Ben Franklin wanting to use a turkey as the American symbol. And I could, I totally dig that, by the way. But I can't see this, the screaming eagle not being a little more intimidating than the gobbling turkey <laughs> coming against the enemies of America. But it's the idea that there's this incredible bird with an incredible, successful conservation story. And we're getting to hunt them and celebrate this and tell other people about this. And you guys sharing your experiences and passions like you just did about the bird hunting you. And, man, he's, he's com- comparing it to elk hunting, which every big game hunter in North America. Oh, yeah. I've, I love turkey hunting, but I'm wanting to do it more because of what I'm hearing you guys talk about. I'm like, it's that good? I mean, really? Awesome. Now, we haven't killed a bird yet, but... <laughs> It's really awesome, and that's the thing. It keeps you coming back, you know? They keep you coming back. Well, my, I think part of my favorite experience so far with everything going on, I mean, everybody's from all over the place, and, you know, like, I came here nervous because I'm like, these people are going to think I'm an idiot, which they probably still do, but... <laughs> I, Not because I, of your turkey hunting skills. <laughs> yeah, that, that 15-year-old girl thinks you're an idiot, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, we're just, we're just switching, switching the why I'm an idiot, but yeah... Um, <laughs> Everybody's been so helpful, though. Like, I'm just coming. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, Todd could have been out there shooting a bird this whole time without me, but he's totally he's been like a guide. Like, it's I've asked him probably two thousand times more questions than he want to know. Our whole day out there, I'm just like, hey, what's that? Why does it do this? What's going on? And he's probably just sitting there like, will this dude ever shut up? Like, you know, it's well, you know. You thought I was helping you spread your wings and and experience a little bit. I just needed some freaking time away from you. Golly. I can't blame you. What's that? Who's that? What do we do now? I mean, talk about fifteen year old girl, man. Can't blame the man. He sent me right into your camp this morning. That a, so that was you, cruel Todd. Joke. You, you just want to be the first one to kill a bird. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was not going to do it with that Yahoo with me. <laughs> I'm auctioning him off for the next hunt to well, the highest bidder. <laughs> well, you know, we, when we hunted yesterday and I broke off behind you guys and I had a Jake come in and like literally was like probably 35, 40 yards behind you. <laughs> Y'all never seen it. <laughs> I was resting. Yeah. I was taking my afternoon nap. I kept seeing a head nap. bobbing next yeah. to the tree with my binoculars. Uh, but, uh, you know, we talked about this, me and you, Todd, um, about, you know, why turkey hunting seems to be something that, you know, most first-time hunters in general can, you know, see themselves doing, you know, versus maybe going deer hunting or something like that. And, and, and uh, you know, they can see themselves cleaning the cleaning a turkey you know versus cleaning a deer for the first time and and um you know i've i've taken a lot of people out for their first turkey hunts and and that's probably the most exciting thing i've done you know i still love shooting birds obviously but but 
introducing people to sport. I mean, that's that's the most important thing, and uh, especially kids. Um, you know, we're really hoping to get my daughter out on a hunt here in the next couple of weeks for her first one. So cross your fingers. Uh, we get that done. Um, if not, we'll do it next year. But um, you know, it's just providing that opportunity. Um, and I think, and I think all of us have probably talked about this so much in the past year of how much the sport, uh, everything has grown in the outdoors just because people were kind of forced to find something to do and you know and and how do we retain that you know so education providing opportunities you know take somebody with you that's never been that's my suggestion to everybody that listens to this um but it's good i mean turkey hunting of all the hunting i've done i've never hunted elk you know i've hunted pronghorn whitetail um a lot of different stuff you know down here we do a lot of pig hunting and stuff but by far turkey hunting it's where it's at, yep. so it's just it's interesting. It's very addictive. It, yeah, and it is addictive. One of the coolest things about turkey hunting is that it, when someone who does not hunt looks at like a white-tailed deer or an elk, to use your example, they can understand what makes that animal so cool. With turkey hunting, people who don't hunt or don't they don't give a shit about turkeys, right? You can kill all of them in the world, and very, very, very few people are going to be upset. The more you understand about turkeys and the more experience you have in the woods with turkeys, the more amazing that bird becomes to you. And it's something that you grow to understand instead of just having an intuitive understanding of like, oh, right, like beautiful animal, big antlers, like I get it. It screams like I get it. Turkeys like playing the cat and mouse game over and over and over with these turkeys just gives you an understanding of how amazing these birds are i mean i don't really even know another adjective it's the most frustrating and fun thing to chase in the woods is a turkey (laughs) yep that's right so yeah and a lot of those people have never seen a gobbler strutting and drumming you know and chasing hens and you know i had a jake come in on a big gobbler and you would think here's this big bad gobbler and this young jake he's just wearing that gobbler out going or he was just making circles around him just trying to intimidate him like come on you know i'm ready to take you on big boy you know and it, it was just amazing and i caught all that on video it was really pretty neat one thing i wanted to maybe touch on what derek said a minute ago about so many more people being attracted to the outdoors this last year with you know, the regular options for recreation kind of shut down is that in Oklahoma, we had record license sales, hunting and fishing license sales last year, our biggest year ever. And what we became acutely aware of is the fact that many of those were first timers. And we have an incredible opportunity, right? You know, on the plate right in front of us right now to work hard to retain those people. Sometimes you talk about having more people out in the woods is a bad thing because we're all jealous of our time and our places and we don't want to have to share that with more people. But the more people that we get involved in the outdoors right now, the more assurance we have that the outdoors are going to be protected for future generations. So that's, that's something that I've been challenging myself with lately is thinking about how do we retain those first-timers that bought a license last year for the first time or went fishing with their family for the first time? How do we, how do we make the outdoors attractive beyond COVID? 
and make it relevant to them on a, you know, on a very personal level beyond just, well, this is what we did because we didn't have any other choice. So I don't know what the answer is, but how, how do we do that? Well, I think that, I mean, that's the question of the hour, you know, really across America. And I think there's a couple of things that could certainly put us in the right direction. And it's already been touched on without being mentioned this way. Derek mentioned essentially mentoring, taking people, investing in their life, investing in their time. Because, look, we've had a great time out here doing this. But if someone had just started hunting, they go and they go 10 different hunts and don't get a turkey. They may check out. They go fishing and they have bad access points and they spend money. Well, I'm going to be out I'm now, now that the things are back normal. So mentorship, if someone's out there and they can't afford certain gear, give them some gear, you know, invest that time in them. And also younger people seem to be, according to a lot of polling data, really interested in the purpose of things, contributing, being part of a cause. So we have the greatest wildlife conservation story in the history of the world and what we've done in America. And the wild turkey is one. You know, they were down to several hundred thousand birds. We're seven million now. So letting them know that, hey, you can be part of this, but the money you spend goes into conservation, ensuring these lands are protected, that we can restock birds and fish and all this stuff. I think somehow wrapping those two up is not the whole solution, but certainly something I think that has some legs. Well, I think I, another part mm-hmm. of it is being in kind of a newcomer. This is my first time, and Derek invited me. Thank you. I appreciate the the, the invite. Um, for me, the experience of being outdoors, mm-hmm. not necessarily just the hunt mm-hmm. itself, but just being outdoors, being able to hike, mm-hmm. move my body. I've been sitting in closed up in COVID doing nothing. Well, so it's man. been a real pleasure to get out and just walk and move and do something different. Uh, maybe, you know, invite somebody to actually bring a book. And if they want to read about hunting, come out here and hunt and read a book about hunting while you're, while you're hunting. Okay? Uh, so uh, the pleasure and the camaraderie. You meet wonderful people um, while you're out hunting. So, so sure, there's the essence of hunting itself, but there's also the personal essence of meeting other people uh, during that hunt as well. Well, and to kind of bounce off what both of you are saying, um, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I have the hardest time getting people like my age and younger to get into this. I mean, I've had like one of my biggest accomplishments personally is like I had a friend. He's, you know, he's like one of my best friends back at home. And he was like, I will never go hunting. I was like, okay, whatever, dude. I'm, I've been like, I was like, I think you'll like it because he loves the outdoors. He's a mountain biker. He's a long distance biker, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, they just opened up this archery park. Let's go. You want to just go shoot some, go, go shoot some arrows, shoot some targets? Yeah. We go out there, we shoot. This, this is like a three year process. I'm, 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 uh, I'm out there shooting arrows with him. I was like, D- all right, tell me what, let's this year. Come on, let's hunt. Let's just come with me. You don't have to shoot. Let's just sit with me. I have someone to talk to. You can take some pictures. And, he brought his bow. He got his license. He did all his stuff just in case. And he's like, I think I want to do it. I think I want to, I think I want to shoot a deer. So this doe walks up and I, I was sitting, you know, probably 30 yards away from him, just kind of watching. And I watched him basically shit himself and freak out. He pulled the bow back, completely missed the doe. But the look on his face, he just, the, he, the doe took off. He came running to me. He dropped his bow and ran over to me. He's like, did you see that? And I was like, that is one of the greatest moments of my life because he went from absolutely being against it 
and and just like slowly over time working with this one dude. I mean, I still barely know what the hell I'm doing, but it was great to just see somebody share that because I taught, I did it myself. I didn't like I had a buddy kind of take me once or twice, but I've been out there on my own ever since. I don't know if you guys had a similar like view on that. Like, is it's just harder to get people my age and younger out there. I just and I don't know if it's a regional thing or whatever, but it's just it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that Jonathan and I talk about all the time with Captain Experiences is uh, we're focused more on the fishing side, but I think it's it can be really intimidating for people to get out there, not only because they don't know what's going on, they don't know how to do it, but they don't have the gear, they don't have the know-how of where to go, and so all these things wrapped together means I, I don't even know where to get started. And so I think, you know, a, a lot of us around the table, I'm sure, are fortunate enough to have grown up with some of this stuff, but if mm-hmm. you don't, then you don't really know, you know, I've never been turkey hunting. If I didn't know Derek and get invited to this place, you know, I don't know, maybe I don't get out there maybe i don't know where to go or something like that and i think that's what we're trying to do with with captain experiences as well as on the fishing side make sure you get people out there because you know we make it as easy as possible and then they go out with great guides like derek and um you know who provide all the gear and tell you the know-how and just teach you in a really comfortable way and say hey no it's no big deal if you don't know what this species is or what if this you know what this technique is let's just show you what's going on with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, <clears throat> Derek does a lot of great work with Coastal Brigade and, you know, Genie of this amazing property and everything. And, you know, those are two uh, great examples of how much effort that it does take to get a lot of people into uh, the sport and into the space. But there's also uh, a lot less formal stuff that you can do. You know, uh, we've all been talking about, you know, how it's our first time this weekend. And, you know, a lot of people around this table have been, you know, quote unquote guides to us, you know, this uh, this weekend, you know, on this trip. So, you don't need to be a professional guide. You don't need to have your guiding license to be a guide to somebody to uh, get them outdoors. And so I, I just think that's that's a huge point, whether it's, you know, your buddy, uh, you know, letting him your shotgun, that sort of stuff. Like uh, it's it's all about getting people outdoors, whether it's, uh, you know, a formal storefront or, you know, just grabbing your buddy. Yeah. One of the things that Derek and me do is uh, we work with other organizations like the NWTF and the Mule Deer Foundation and uh, I donate hunts for them to have a essay contest for youth. Yeah. So the kids have to write uh, a, just a one-page letter saying why they, you know, like the NWTF, the Mule Deer Foundation, Coastal Brigades, whatever the organization is, and why they would like to come, you know, harvest a deer on the Double Draw Ranch. Well, we've had tons of kids come out here that had never hunted before. Uh, a few that had, but I mean that this was the first time that they had ever gotten out, and it's it's just been a blast for us and really fulfilling to sit down with these kids and teach them how to really shoot a gun. Because it's it was kind of funny. My brother-in-law passed away last year. Me and him would always work with these kids, and they don't listen to their parents. <laughs> you know, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, but Reggie or me would sit down with these kids at the bench out there shooting, getting, making sure they could, you know, hit a target at a hundred yards, and you know, we just quietly and you know talk to them and you know kind of go through the you know motions and explain to them how to breathe, 
you know, and just, you know, when you're your stillest is when you exhale and, you know, you, you know, daddy's saying, pull the trigger, don't pull the trigger, squeeze the trigger, you know, and, and these kids are, you know, hitting and then you get them out in the field. And I had this little girl last year and she literally had tears just rolling down her cheeks when I was trying to get her to shoot this hog. And I mean, it took her 20 minutes at least. And finally she said, will you help me? You know, so sure. So I kind of made her believe that I was helping her. You know, I kind of put my hands on her and kind of said, okay, I'm going to count to three, squeeze the trigger. And, you know, she ended up shooting that hog. And, man, you could not wipe the grin off her face. She was ecstatic. And then two hunts later, she took a nice spike. So, I mean, it, it was just, you know, those are memories of a lifetime for me. You know, seeing these kids come out here and harvest animals and everything, and get into the hunting industry. Yeah. And Let's see real quick. I got. A, you said I got chills when you said essay contest. <laughs> All right. Because when I was a senior in high school, my girlfriend is now my wife. Her mom clipped out a little thing about an essay contest Texas Parks and Wildlife were having, and. Uh, you got one a lifetime combo hunting and fishing license. You wrote about hunting and what it meant to you. I wrote about hunting and conservation. Won it. Started my career. And that's literally how I started my career that I've been doing for the last 29 years. So I salute you guys for doing that because I'm living proof that something like a chance to contribute and win something like that, it may not end up being a career like I have as a journalist, but it, that may be the springboard for a lifetime of hunting or fishing. So thank you guys. Tell yeah. Yeah, um, we had one in particular that I had sent to Gene, you know, for the for the contest through our NWTF chapter, and uh, I'm gonna make sure Tommy listens to this. But uh, call a little little big Tommy Johnson. He, uh, he, I don't even remember what how old he was. He's uh, fifteen. He's fifteen, about eight foot tall, Four and wide. I, I heard <laughs> so much about. I wasn't here when that trip happened, but I, I heard so much about him, his father, Big Tommy Senior. And Reggie all in a blind together, and I remember Reggie would just be like, "We got in there, we tried to shut that door, we couldn't shut the door." <laughs> and I just told Tommy, I said, "Breathe in as much as you can and slam the door shut." <laughs> and uh, and uh, but man, you know, Tommy is a shining example. I met him um, probably back in good gosh, when did that was at one of the brigades camps that me and my wife work at the Bash Brigade. At the time, and that was oh, 2012, 2013, maybe. And uh, I remember Tommy, he, you know, he was pretty green to a lot of what we were doing. He'd fished and stuff before and done some hunting, I guess, but he borrowed my waders because I've got, I got pretty big feet, okay? So he wore 15s. And so I was like, you can borrow my waders. First thing he does, he goes out there and falls down in the creek. <laughs> and my waders, I believe, this was 2021. So six years, and they're still freaking wet. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, Tommy just has turned into a young man. I mean, he's getting ready to graduate college here, like, next week, I think. Um, but he's, I mean, just a shining example. Yeah, I mean, he's he's doing all these things now. Um, you know, he just got posted on the Parks and Wildlife um, Angler Education page is uh, – you know, one of the examples of the people that are helping, you know, teach fishing to people all across the state now. Um, he leads his American Fishery Society chapter at Tarleton State. 
and uh, just, you know, doing things in the community and stuff. And it's like, you know, we had a little part of that. It just makes you feel good. Um, but there's a lot of other kids like that, you know. I mean, his sister even came up here, I think, two yeah, years later. So, um, you know, you know, working with uh, with the brigades and, and things like that, we're, we're trying to, you know, not mold these kids into being biologists or game wardens or anything like that. We don't care if they do that, but we want them to have a, a general knowledge about conservation, why it's important, but also teaching them how to talk to people. You know, that's probably the coolest thing about that whole program is, is being able to get up and, and speak to people because we all know, I mean, nobody, you know, there's not much face-to-face these days, and most people can say all they want on a keyboard, but when they got to get up in front and give a talk in, in front of a room and stuff, I mean, it's tough, you know, and, and we're allowing these kids to kind of grow and develop that, that skill and uh, I mean, we've been doing it for over 10 years now, and it's it's awesome seeing these kids, you know, grow into what they're at now in their careers and stuff. So, you know, making an impact on the kids is definitely, it's rewarding, but, you know, you never know how much that trickle effect is going to, you know, going to happen down the road. I got something. So one of my favorite things has been, taking friends hunting that have never been hunting before. And fortunately, I've had a lot of success doing that. Uh, I got one of my best friends to kill two birds, um, another buddy to kill a bird, and then uh, another one of my friends killed a really nice, mature whitetail on his first deer hunt. The problem is that they don't really have anywhere to go from there. Like in the South, most of the land is, is private. In Texas, most of the land is private. So you introduce them to something that they absolutely love, but you're their only connection to that. How, how, like how can we do better just as an industry for keeping these hunters, I don't want to say entertained, but keeping them active and giving them the resources that they can have? Because with fishing, you, know, you go down to the pond, you go down to the river, a lot of that's public, the ocean, obviously, but there, there's not a lot of resources out there for people who say can't afford a lease in a state that has a lot of, a lot of private land. And, and luckily my home state right now, Montana has a lot of public land and there are more resources for that. But how, how can we do better as hunters at keeping those new hunters continually going back to the woods? I mean, I would just say, you know, one thing is, is, you know, content and just, you know, outside of the actual experience. Um, you know, I think that these podcasts are a great example of that. You know, none, none of us had ever heard of a podcast, you know, two or three years ago even, you know, and, uh, and now it's, it's just so uh, ubiquitous. And so being able to adapt hunting to, you know, po- the podcast environment and, and, you know, molding both of those worlds into one uh, is, is a great way to, to reach new people, keep them engaged. You know, even if you're working your nine to five or whatever, and you're driving home for 30 minutes on the freeway, you could be listening to this podcast right now, staying, staying in the game that way. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I agree. There's, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, and you're staying in the game with content and watching fishing and hunting shows is, is great. And there's certainly a need for that. But actually doing the act can be very difficult for some people that Agreed. say... Or, or they even want to get into it and they don't know anybody that's in, into it. They're, they live in a city, say they don't like factory farming, which, you know, I'm, I, I, 
I think it's kind of gross, honestly. Mm-hmm. And uh, they 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 want to have clean meat. Say they can't afford, you know, organic stuff. And so the only really option from there is either vegetarian or killing your own meat. How can how can we support them and, and, and give them the resources to succeed as hunters? I, this is a question I've pondered at nauseum, just constantly over this, uh, because I see what's demographically happening to hunting. You know, you just can't look at the demographic. Last year was great with COVID and all that, but uh, a lot of that's going to go away unless we do something right, you know. And Texas, of course, being 97% privately alone, that's that's even a bigger challenge here, you know, because of the economic nature of what goes on. So I think it's going to come down to do we as hunters really believe personally in getting people involved? And what are we willing to do to help those people? If we have a deer lease where we can kill four deer, maybe we give two every year and let somebody come as a guest and try to, and try to you know, make those sacrifices and, and, and invest that way. Uh, and at the industry level, I mean, there's a lot of great things at the industry, but there's also plenty of people in the industry that are just worried about getting their next member of the big five. And that's great, but it's not helping, you know, Johnny Lunchbucket over here who wants to go able, you know, go off his factory job and say, hey, man, I really want to get back into deer hunting. So I think that the industry level may be investing in some, not necessarily legislation, but working with some of these fish and game departments to open up some more lands and things like that. And I know like Texas is doing more um, on some state park hunts over the year, different states and things like that, opening those things up. And maybe even some kind of a screening process. Like uh, when I was out at a, at a public area for uh, bighorns doing photography in Texas, there's only like one public raffled bighorn tag a year. And the guy who won it that year had already paid for his Mexico hunt and was going to shoot like a Marco Polo sheep. That's wonderful. I'm glad for him. But I'd rather that tag have went to someone who could never dream of sheep hunting than someone who could afford it, you know? So I think it's, I think it's a short way of saying that we're all going to have to put our money where our mouth is at some level, you know, and, and make some kind of sacrifice. You know? Is money the problem, though? Huh? Is money the problem? No, I meant money where our mouth is. I meant our time, our energy, our efforts, and maybe some of our money. I think, I think economically in some places, but I also think it's a matter of when we have a good place to hunt, a good thing to do, we want to hold it all to ourselves. It's just natural. But being able to say, we're going to, you know, I'm going to invest this season in this person. Maybe every year my neighbor will take them hunting. That'll be what I give them for Christmas, you know? And then maybe that'll, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I certainly know that status quo ain't going to work another 20 years, you know? We're doing good things, but we're at a, you know, as Todd so eloquently mentioned earlier, we're at a precipice of potentially something great in this industry. And then taking that with, you know, visionary landowners like we have here who manage their lands and all the great people work in fish and game departments and put all our heads together and say, hey, what can we do all sacrificially to make sure some of these people can get into the game and find out a way and let them know you don't have to kill a Boone and Crockett deer. You know, that, that don't, don't because, you know, you can go on YouTube, everybody shoots records. That's wonderful. Let them know that it's okay to just shoot does. And I think the people like you're talking about that want to go out maybe, because I have a friend, my friend Jennifer here in Texas, got into hunting for health purposes because of some health issues and the GMOs and stuff are messing her up. So she's hunting whitetails now. She had the exact same problem. That's where I started getting in this conversation is talking to her. So I think it all requires some kind of a sacrifice and using our creativity and how to personally mentor and stay engaged in people at an industry level, department level, and at a human level. I wanted to just jump piggyback onto that and the sacrifice 
many times I don't really take into account how big of a commitment the sacrifice is to mentor somebody. Mentoring is not taking one person out one time. That does not turn them into a hunter. Uh, and I think that um, it, it's going to take, you know, I'm not going to be able to produce and mentor hundreds and hundreds of new hunters over my lifetime if I'm going to do it correctly. Because to truly mentor a hunter, that's a multi-year investment, like Paul was saying. And I've got to be able to be willing to make some sacrifices on my end, on my time. Uh, you know, when, say it's deer, yeah, their best chance is gonna be during the rut. Well. I'm going to, if I'm truly serious about mentoring somebody, I'm going to have to sacrifice some of my best times to hunt so that they can see some success. But it, it's going to be way more than just one hunt. You know, I don't know the statistics, but uh, in advertising, they say, they talk about billboards and how many times you have to drive by a billboard before you're, you're even consciously aware of what the message is. You've read that billboard a hundred times going to work and back and forth to the office and then eventually after a certain number of times it sinks in and you realize oh that's a car dealership down the road or something like that so in order to make things stick and that my point or comparing comparing that is that it's going to take multiple times taking the same person out um, in Oklahoma, we do fishing clinics, and for a long time, we were all about the numbers. Oh, we pumped, you know, we pumped 4,000 kids through our fishing clinics programs this year. Hooray for us, right? Look how many new anglers that we are pumping out into the system. Nope. No, taking them to one fishing clinic and they caught one bluegill doesn't turn them into an angler. And so we have, we have hit the brakes on that a little bit, and we're refocusing and realizing we need to do a little better job at what we consider to be mentoring and what we, what we do about that. And taking a person one time isn't going to cut it. It's going to be a, a long-term commitment on, on the grassroots level by individuals taking individuals many, many times. I think... Um going a little different route is you know a lot of people i mean we've got 50 states in this country and most of the tv shows and youtube stuff you see are in places like texas montana out in the west oklahoma is more relevant now than ever before on producing you know big whitetail and, and things like this and then you know you think of places like new york where lou is from um I don't really think of New York as a hunting state. You know, I just had Erin Merrill from Jury Outdoors. She's in Maine, and she was telling me all kinds of stuff about the laws and regulations up there. It just blew me away. But, I mean, what are some of your experiences hunting in New York? What, I mean, typically, I mean, what opportunities are there up there, you know, for people? Fortunately, uh, in New York State, there's, an, there's a lot of um, land that's available to hunters, first of all. Um, some some le some people lease property obviously because it's a hot spot for deer and they want to quality manage the deer and that's okay that's great but there's an awful lot of spots where you know farmers might be out there in the field and you just ask them if you can hunt his property he says absolutely go on and hunt no problem you know and 
if he's gonna if he's gonna give you a golden ticket to go hunt his property, then it doesn't hurt to come back at Christmas time for him and make sure you know he's aware that you appreciate something like that. You know, and um, I, I took my sister. I wanted to say this. I took my sister hunting. She took the course. I I teach the bow course and the gun course in Cuga County, where I'm from, and um, she took the courses and wanted to go hunting. I took her. I took her to the best spots I knew. And every time I, every time when the hunt was over, she said, "I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything." So I said, "Are you sure? Nothing? Nothing?" I said, "Okay." So one day I took her to this one spot, put her up in the tree stand. You all set? Yes, I'm all set. Then I walked all the way around the woods and I came out the other side, across the woods from where she was, and I sat and I watched her. And and sure enough, deer came right under her and bedded down right next to her. And the hunt was over, and I walked over there, and I said, you see anything? She said, no, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. I says, Chris, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, harvest this animal. You don't have to do that, you know. If you're not into it, you're not into it. I just can't kill an animal. I can't do it. They're so I said, shoot with your camera then. You're out, you're out in the outdoors. And that's I think that's what everyone here has been trying to say. Get out in the outdoors, and that's part of it. You know, you see the animals in the wild. You know, um, I was in a tree stand the other day. I saw an owl land right next to me. I mean, and looking at me and didn't know what I was, and I'm looking at the owl saying, no, no, don't come at me. Don't come at me. <laughs> you know, but it was beautiful to look at. You know, just gorgeous. The people sitting in their living room never get that opportunity. So I, th I think... Teaching kids to get out there is, is one thing. It's, it's a great idea to mentor kids to get out there to hunt. But I think it's more important to get them outside. Just get away from that PlayStation. You know, get outside and, and enjoy what nature has to offer. It's I think for, for one of the things, being the senior newbie here, um, <laughs> one of the things that was very reassuring for me is hearing the experienced people say, I was nervous. I, it, it, that, that was, for me, that was uh, enlightening. I, it, it sort of brought down the anxiety level by itself. Um, so I think just reassuring people that there are no expectations, that every adventure is going to be a little bit different from the other every time you come out. So don't set expectations for yourself. And I think if you guys continue to reassure people that there is no right or wrong or an expectation and reassure them of your first time, your, your hunts going out and being that anxiety of having, you know, your nerves being rattled is okay. I mean, I think that's, that's a very important thing to do because I, seriously, I was like, holy cow, I'm, I, I'm the, I don't know nothing about anything, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but listening to you guys share your experience, and it's like, wow, what, what, was, what was that barrier I had in my, in my own head I had to overcome, okay? So I, was, I, would, I would continue to stress the point. To, to, to anybody that's new to this. If you're new to this, whatever's in your head, it's probably not going to work out the way you're thinking it is. <laughs> so give it a shot anyway. <laughs> oh, Tony, I can tell you that. These guys sitting on either side of me kept telling me every hunt, this is the one, man. We got it. We know what he's doing now. We're going to have this bird today. <laughs> and here we are. You know what's really scary is this bird has a brain the size of a pea, and it's outsmarting us. You know, that's, 
That's yes, pretty bad. That happens every day. I think the only successful hunt that I caught on camera was uh, Hayden and Paul catching crawfish out of the cooler last night. <laughs> Is that what I tasted? Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, yeah. I was. I wanted to elaborate on what Lou said. It, for like, I'm a prime example. Like, I started. I've always been like an outdoorsy kind of guy, but like, I grew up in like the middle of Michigan, in like a 10 acre woodlot that's just surrounded by. So I was always just outside by force, usually. Uh, and then you know, I kind of progressed. I think hunting is like a culmination of like, okay. I hiked. Okay, that was sweet. Oh, I saw some deer. Oh, I saw... What's this animal? What's this what I'm hearing? What's this bird? And then you just kind of like get down this rabbit hole. And for me, it was like, okay, I've done a shitload of backpacking. I've been out in the backcountry. I saw a moose. I got scared to shit on me by a bear. And then like, it, I think for a lot of people it's like, like me who just kind of like... It's like a, a progression. And then I was like obsessed about hunting now. Like it's like... It's so much harder than all of that stuff. Like backpacking isn't very hard. You throw shit in a bag and you walk around. Like here you throw shit in a bag, you have a gun, you're trying to find an animal, you're trying not to scare an animal, you can't smell bad, you can't move, you can't talk, you can't breathe. It's just like it's so incredibly challenging. And I'm I'm assuming that's why all of us love it so much too because it's like, yeah, work sucks, work's boring. We're, you know, like we're out here – to get away from it, but it's also like very, very, very tough. And I, I, that's what I love about it. It's yeah. It's just like different levels of enjoyment. Like you said, like you're just adding different layers. It's multifaceted. You got to be quiet. You got to be still, you can't move. Um, that's why I love it so much. And, and the mentorship thing, uh, there's like a dichotomy between like wanting to get these people outside, but then also like not wanting to share your spots and, and Turner and I, uh, we we kind of struggle with this uh, having so much public land in Montana is that you know we spend our time finding these spots, um, but you know we 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 got a guy who uh, gave us some some turkey spots this year, and if you can find somebody like that, that's that's the best way that I know to get into it is is to find somebody that that knows a lot more than you, and, and to see if you can pick their brain. Um, and, and get out there and, and, you know, like if you enjoy hiking, see if you can sit still <laughs> with a gun and then call and then see if you can kill it. And it's just like the, my favorite part about hunting is just putting meat on the table. Like, yeah, you can get hardware, but at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're getting non GMO food mm-hmm. that it's, it's the healthiest meat that you can eat. Yeah. And on that same kind of front from the new hunter's perspective, there has to be some sort of trust established with this relationship of a mentor. And I, I firmly believe that a relationship can never be one-sided. There has to be something that the new hunter can give to their mentor. What are some ways that a new hunter can contribute to the mentor to make the mentor say, you know what? He, he's a guy or a girl that I would want to take out again. Money. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> got a guided trip. <laughs> uh, That's good one thing along the lines of that is um, Turner has pretty much been my mentor with hunting. Um, and I, I know that speaking through him, that him taking me out makes him enjoy the outdoors a lot more. So, you know, you can, 
the the newcomer can get back to the to the mentor by by sh- by giving them those those newbie uh, excitements that you know they experienced so long ago when they first got into it. You know, but you guys are brothers, right? You're brothers. Mm-hmm. So really, if you get the animal that he's mentored you to get, right? You, you get you get that animal, and he was looking at that same animal. Are you still happy about that, Turner? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I am, especially when it comes to uh, first. Um, I mean, there was a uh, I killed my first Merriams uh, the other the other weekend, and um, it was just a situation where Hayden just couldn't get to the birds you know he just, he just couldn't get to them but uh you know taking him duck hunting and, and seeing him have his first experience in in a western duck hunt which is an absolute hidden gem um was really exciting, exciting. and uh got to uh be with hayden for his first turkey um and that was absolutely incredible um and then uh this year we're gonna try to get him a mule deer um but it <sighs> I, I may be the exception, and I'd like to hear from, from you guys as well, but getting someone their first animal, either it's a different subspecies, something they're trying to do, gets me more excited than doing it over again. Do you guys agree with that? Totally. So, so one thing that, that Addison and I hear all the time from our guides, uh, you know, with Captain Experiences is uh, we try to interview our guides and, you know, not just ask them, you know, what are the X's nose of your trips, you know, four hour, six hour trip. Uh, but we ask them, you know, why do you do what you do? And what we keep hearing over and over again, uh, is that, you know, they, they say, our guides say we enjoy watching people catch their first fish more than we enjoy catching fish ourselves. Uh, and so that's, that's really rewarding. But to your, your question about, you know, what people can do to, you know, thank that guide, it's, you know, it's just that, you know, thank you. I mean, uh, you know, we're all sitting around this round table talking about how we can grow these different sports. And I think that's why we're doing it, you know, why we're bringing our buddies out. And so if, uh, you know, Derek, like you said, um, you know, your buddy who's now uh, instructing people uh, with, with fishing, you know, if, if they follow up or they share that on, you know, social media and they tag you and they say, yeah. you're the reason that I'm growing the sport and now all my buddies are interested, uh, you know, I'm sure that that would completely enhance your experience as a guide and make you want to take out your next buddy, hoping that he might do the the same thing. So I think that's really a huge difference maker versus, uh, you know, just going out and having a great trip and, you know, calling it a day. You, you need to thank that guide. You need to show them that you're helping to, to kind of, uh, you know, carry the torch or whatever. Well, that, you know, me and my wife do a lot of mentoring in our ministry with young people. We work with hurting children of various situations and we've had a number we've invested a lot in and uh, we've actually invested in a lot teaching some about conservation and trying to get them to be used media for conservation. And, uh, what we found some people are just kind of fade out, you know, they'll, they'll be, they'll reach a certain level and they, they'll kind of take it. And it's, and, not, and instead of like being able to give back, they're just done. But we've had a few that have followed the path and to, that's the reward that they, like you said, you know, they follow up. Thank you. They followed the path. They have, they have taken up the challenge and that really is a reward is giving back and just saying, thank you. I appreciate this, but also taking that thank you to the level of keeping on doing what they're doing and adding to it. You know, that, that, that's always super rewarding. We have somebody you mentor. We have a young lady in life, a couple of young ladies in our life. One of them, Demi, she works with human trafficking, helping people out of human trafficking. And we kind of helped her go that direction. That's been mind blowing. And a young lady named Rihanna, who uh, is in her third semester at Texas Tech and uh, is going to be a wildlife biologist. And just knowing that we had a little tiny part in that is, is amazing. So I think 
you're right on with like the thank you. And sometimes that thank you looks like carrying the torture hand at somebody else. I was just going to add to that as well that, you know, I've got a, a house full, just like most of us here, of trophies on my wall. But the ones that I'm most proud of are those folks that have carried the torch on. That Those are my trophies. And I don't have as many as the ones that are on the wall because they're harder to get. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they take more time and more effort. But those, those folks, like uh, I can throw names out too, like Jeff and Caleb, that I've put the time in with, and they have turned into accomplished hunters. Those are my trophies. And, and you asked, what, what could the hunter get or the new person give back uh, in return? Just um, knowing that uh, I made a difference in that person's life. Uh, I mean, raise your hand if you remember your first deer. Remember your first deer? Do you remember who was with you on your first deer? You're a part of that for the rest of, I mean, they're a part of that for the rest of your life. And every person that you've taken on uh, their first hunt or fishing trip or whatever, you're stuck in their memory and you're a part of their life forever. And those are the, the trophies that I think I'm most proud of. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, it also comes with a responsibility. You know, you have to make it a good experience and a positive experience because it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. They could, you know, there's a chance that they won't like hunting and it's just not for them, but, you know, but there's a responsibility and a great honor in taking someone for their first animal. And that's a responsibility that you have to be conscious about. And you have to be all about making it just a good overall experience, regardless if you're successful or not. I would just say now more than ever too, you know, in, in this day and age, uh, you know, the younger generation is so tied to immediate gratification and, you know, we're always, uh, you know, wanting a, a promotion at work, you know, six months into a new job, things like that. And so it's more and more important now than ever. The stakes are even higher that, uh, you know, that person has a great first experience uh, in, in what they're doing so that, you know, then they come back and and then, you know, they're willing to kind of get over that hump and, and do what it takes because they've had that first great experience. But I just think that, that you know, with everyone's timeline and, you know, constrained and everything, it's, it's just all that more important. Yeah, I know from from charter experiences, I mean, that's, um, you know, you think about hunting and fishing, um, you, you want these kids, or even if they're first-timers and they're older, um, to have a, a good, successful adventure, whatever it is. Start out with something easy, you know. Like, I mean, you know, most of us, we probably start catching sunfish or something like that. You know, we weren't first time going fishing and going trying to catch a 10 pound bass or anything like that some of us are lucky like my wife um <laughs> who caught like a seven and a half pound bass like her first cast she ever went fishing with me um which was awesome <laughs> <laughs> i told her it was just because i planned it that way but <clears throat> but you know um i take a lot of first timers out on the charter boat and uh you know i had a, i had a couple families the last couple months that First time uh, either ever going fishing or first time saltwater experience. And that's just, you know, people see, you know, fishing in the ocean for stuff and just it's so appealing and, and uh, getting to experience that with them and having a successful trip. I mean, you know, my favorite trips to run for people are people that have no expectations. Uh, 
Right. And those always, always turn out to be the best trips. You know, it's when you get people that come and they want to shoot a 200-inch buck or, you know, we want to go and we want to limit out by 9 o'clock and then go do something else. And, you know, those trips are always in, inevitably a struggle. You know, so I tell people, I was like, you know, one thing I always, I try to please the customers that I take. So, I, you know, I, I talk to them and say, what, what are your goals and expectations for this trip you're paying for it what do you want to do and then we'll see what we can make happen um most people don't care they just they just want to go you know and so you know go out put them on fish have a good time but uh um you know starting out being successful um that's that seems to be good in the retention part initially you know and i think you guys are talking about the the longer mentorship where you're developing skills for certain things within each sport you know that's that's where the like the grab is for them to stay in it, you know, over time. So, so Derek, is that why you always say you should have been here yesterday? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew where the fish were yesterday. But Turner, I was just going to say to your point, you know, with the the mentor mentee relationship, you know, it's I think it's kind of on the mentee not to come with too high of expectations and it's on the mentor to highlight the full experience you know uh like one thing that we always hear on our trips is uh you know a lot of guides can't put themselves in the mentee's shoes uh and be able to realize that it's really exciting for them to you know catch a shark or a gaff top or something like that you know they're the guide is focused on these you know game fish species uh when really a lot of people are just as excited to to catch that that other fish and you know have that picture uh and so it's it's not the same experience for them if the guide is like oh that's not the fish we were looking for you know and so uh, i think there's there's some of that too well that 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 can ruin a trip for a first timer and this is something that i'm very i'm 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 a huge advocate for encouraging new hunters and it is the it infuriates me when a new hunter say goes and and kills uh, a, a spike buck right and you see on social media comments, oh, that's a tiny yeah, deer. Like ridiculous. You, you, you know, that's not anything compared to the deer I've killed. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So what? It's about what it means to them. And because you've already gone and done these things, well, you may not be interested in that now. And you may only be interested in the challenge of killing a, a larger, harder-to-kill buck, and that's okay. But they're not at the point in their hunter journey yet Mm -hmm. to be ready for that. And instead of tearing people down because they're not at the level you are, we need to build them up and encourage them. Like every first hunter here, I'm so glad you guys are here. And it's so awesome to see your experiences and the smiles on your faces and the interesting points that you come away from it and you gain new perspectives from these new hunters. And it's, it's really incredible to watch. And something I'm a huge advocate for is encouraging people. Like, you know, Paul, I could have gotten mad at you for messing me up this morning, you know? <laughs> I feel some animosity here. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, I took a step back and said, well, you know, this, this is his first turkey hunt trip. He, he doesn't know better. And instead of getting mad at him and saying, hey, man, what the hell are you doing? You screwed up my spot, which <laughs> isn't true. I mean, the birds were already gone. Yeah. But, you know, I just want to encourage you and say, you know, it happens to everybody. I've done it before. You know, yeah. no big deal. 
Let's well, just I have appreciate fun. that. Yeah. <laughs> but well, and it, it's so true because even like even where I'm at now, I've, this is probably my what third, fourth year hunting, and you know. I'd be tickled pink to, if I got the smallest bird on your property. I'd be like, yes. And it's the same thing. I have a freaking outdoors podcast. So I will get the comments like, oh, that you flew all the way to Texas for that. Like, shut the hell up. Like, I, don't, yeah, I don't have yeah. time for this. You know, like, and that bird was behind you. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't shoot it either. So, but, but uh, no, I really do hate that a lot because, like, for me, I have no shame. Like, I'm happy. I'll kill a squirrel. I'll post it. I don't care. I'm so excited about anything. And because for me, it's just so, such a huge endeavor and i'm learned so much like i could sit out for a whole season and never see anything and i just learned so much about the woods and like even just seeing the the wildlife out here i've never you guys are talking you're all like professionals here this is what you do for a living and and hearing you talk about these animals i didn't even know existed i was out there with todd and this what's that thing called audit i'll never remember the name of that he he goes oh that's an audit i look over i was like what the hell's an audit it's so awesome to just like uh, just like a fly on the wall here to listen to everybody's experience. And I, I've learned more this week than I probably learned in the last two years, just figuring it out on my own and watching meat eater. You know, it's, it's, it's a great experience and I'm super grateful to be here. Like the outsider, you know, it's, it's, it's really enlightening. So I appreciate all you guys so much. Thanks. We, we appreciate you and, and every new hunter in here and the, the additional perspectives that you gives us. Cause it kind of, it rejuvenates your love for the outdoors. And it, and it gives you things to think about. And, you know, the questions that, that new hunters ask are usually great questions. And you're like, man, I've never thought about that. Maybe that would work, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, when you're hunting uh, and you're new, you learn a lot what not to do. And uh, that's equally as important, I think. Turner, you know you're right. Uh, all these youth hunts and stuff like that we do, uh, I get just as excited as these kids do. You know, seeing the look on their faces, I, I get some awesome pictures, man. I mean, grins ear to ear, you know, uh, had one little boy, his daddy brought him out here. He had never shot a deer and his dad's paying for a trophy hunt, not just not just a management deer or a doe or something like that. He brought his kid to kill a trophy buck. And this kid shoots about a 147 whitetail. I mean, a nice, nice buck. That kid couldn't quit thanking his dad. That's great. You know, and then he couldn't quit thanking me for letting his dad bring him to my ranch. You know, that was just so cool. You know, and I mean, there's just countless stories about all these first-time hunting kids. A lot of first-time grown men, too, you know, coming and getting their animals. And uh, you're right, it rejuvenates me. You know, I mean, that's part of why I love doing this, you know, is getting to share those experiences with a lot of different people. Awesome. All right, so you guys going to do this again annually, or is, is this going to be yeah, something I think that you're going to... Montana gonna... sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in. Great. What do you guys want to do? <laughs> they're, they're cutthroat fishing. <laughs> cutthroat yeah, fishing? Yeah. We can do cutthroat fishing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I wish we had four more days because yeah, we could have ran and jumped in the river. So, but I think That's we're what I'm all doing this uh, afternoon while yeah, you're talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, we could have, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely we're doing this again next year. 
So, and uh, hopefully, um, we'll see, like I said at the beginning of this, you know, we don't, don't know where this is going to go, but I think it's going to be good. Hopefully, we can uh, bring some people in and uh, just by sharing these stories and stuff and, and spreading this conservation message. And, and uh, like I said, just the networking part of this, um, just all the stuff's come out that's been good. I mean, fellowship. I appreciate all this. I've had a lot of fun. My allergies are kicking my ass. <laughs> I can't even breathe right now, so I probably sound her- terrible. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's been good, and uh, I know we've been going. This is going to turn into a meat eater podcast. So, <laughs> <clears throat> but um, yeah, does anybody else have any like final words? So or? I've got a year to work on my turkey call. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. I'll be ready. <laughs> Just yeah. thank you, Derek. Thank you, Gene. Oh, man. Thank yeah. you to everybody thank here, you, man. Sir. Yeah, y'all help make this possible. Don't put it all on me, but uh, just uh, I kind of just guided us all here. So let's work together to make it better. Absolutely. So, all right. I think that's going to do it.